Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by Jack and Will. Uh, and we have a, a, an exciting series of episodes coming up. We'll get into that in a moment, um, and I'll intro those. But uh, before that, we have some really exciting news, and I guess we don't, but, but Jack's got some really exciting news um, to share with the listeners. I think he shared it with his church. He shared it, obviously, with his family. But um, Jack, go ahead and tell the, the Think Deeper, or the what? The Deep what Thinkers, the, Joe. The Deep, the deep thinkers. thinkers. There you go. Sorry, everyone. I stink at this. You, yeah, I, I should have known because it's um, rambling Joe or whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jack, what you got going on? Yeah, well, we uh, just let our church know a week or so ago that we are uh, moving on from the ministry here to uh, join you in, in Middle Tennessee there. Uh, we're going to live not too far down the road from Joe and his family and uh, other family we have out there. So we're very excited about that. But, um, you know, just... Kind of at the time it was in, in my ministry here in Texas, and uh, a, a tough decision. We're leaving a lot of people we love behind, but we're also excited to move forward. And And one of the opportunities this affords us is we've been talking for a while now about uh, expanding the work at Focus Press, and that's something that we're going to do. And I've kind of been trying to do both here, um, but I, I think this will give me the opportunity to really throw myself into that more. Uh, we've, we've kind of hinted at things. We haven't really come out with... Uh, real concrete plans, but more podcasts, more videos, more books. I've I've got a uh, study guide, Bible class uh, study book, uh, in the works myself. I know you guys each have books that you're working on. Um, that uh, we're not going to give away quite what it is just yet. I will let you announce those in in their time. But um, yeah, it, it'll be an opportunity to to be nearer to each other. Will's just down the road there in Alabama from where we're going to be, and um, get together, shoot video, do things like this. And so uh, just a lot more content uh, for, for you guys, our listeners. And um, it, it's exciting, but pray for us. Uh, we still need to get our house sold. Um, we uh, got to make some things work out funds wise, got to, you know, find a little bit of work on the side, things like that. But uh, it, it's, it's something we're really excited about. I'm excited about being closer to you guys and being able to, to expand some of the work we're doing together as part of it. We're excited to have you. Well, it might mean that we are no longer having to do this podcast over Zoom, is what true. that might mean here yeah, in the that's future. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's true. Less interruptions, All the, less, uh, uh, or better quality. Audio glitches. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, Joe, I, I think you're driving this week's episode, so go ahead and get us into our topic for today. We're excited this week to get into what is going to be the first of a four-part series on Church Reset, and which is Jack's book uh, that came out. Jack, what was that? two years ago yeah it was right after covid started so 2020 there you go there you go um easy to remember i guess um but i remember i was getting all of the you you'd send me after each chapter that you wrote you'd send me these emails and i remember reading through those like this this rough draft of the book thinking i really think you're onto something here you and i had read some similar books leading up to this total church some other things that are more in the christendom not Church of Christ realm, but this was kind of a, to me, it was a really big deal, specifically for Church of Christ. I think you elaborated on a lot of things that a lot of people were thinking. And I remember you writing some articles um, for Focus a site, some blog articles with the Church Reset ideas really forming. And we were talking off air about this right before, but like how exciting it was to hear people say, 
man, I've been thinking the exact same thing. This is, this is my line of reasoning as well. This is my line of thinking. This is, I'm looking for the same thing. And so I think that spurred you on more to say, okay, we're onto something here. Basically, we're everybody really had the general sense that we church should be more than what it is right now. You know, that we all, that's that right. It should be, there's something missing, right? We all kind of had that sense. All right, that and was so, the driving question. Shouldn't church be shouldn't more? Shouldn't church that, be more, exactly. How many times have you driven home on a Sunday and thought, that's it? We just we just spent that time together. See you next week. See you Wednesday night. Like, isn't there supposed to be more? And and so that like okay, if there is, what is it supposed to be? And so that question really drove all of the the research and and the book that came out of it, and what we're going to do on this series here. Right. And so we're excited for this four part series. We're going to get into some really really cool stuff about the family, um, about the uh, the Great Commission. And so we're excited to to jump right in. And one of the things in reading the books that we read uh, in, in prepping and that you read, you had this idea that I think is unique. I, I think, I don't remember reading this anywhere, but it's this idea of consumerism. Now, the idea of consumerism isn't unique, but specifically in the churches. And I want to tee you off on that. Um, specifically, like, I wonder if you could tell the listeners, what do you mean by church consumerism? So, yeah, I mean, that that idea is out there. Um the unique thing is the the business restaurant take, which I'll get to in a minute. The consumerism is just what's in it for me. Uh, you know that that we've set up a, a consumeristic church structure uh, that tells people, "Hey, we're here for you. We're providing a, a good for you. You come get it and uh, from us, and then go home and do what you will with it." And so the the analogy I use is if you were going to open a restaurant. What would you need to do? And you start thinking through. I've never opened a restaurant, but you can, the generals, the the big things you can figure out, right? You need to uh, find a location. Where is this restaurant going to be? What, you know, is it going to be somewhere people can find it? And so you got to do that. Uh, You've got to come up with a menu. What are we going to serve people? What are we going to be about? What kind of what style of restaurant are we going to be? And then you got to find a chef, somebody that's going to make the things on that menu that can offer it to people, maybe multiple people, cooks and, and servers, things like that. So you've got a staff, uh, you've got, you need advertising, right? You need to let people know you're there, put a sign out, maybe send out mailers, a website, uh, you know, Facebook page, get, get your name out there. You need specials, advertising, you know, uh, marketing, I mean, of, hey, come in and, and get $5 off your first meal or kids eat free, you know, things like that 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 bring people in and then the goal is when people come in to get them to like it enough to come back and if they really like it and become a regular maybe they'll bring their friends maybe word of mouth will will help uh, you know spread it as well and so it's this business like mindset uh, that the businesses have to have in order to succeed how is that any different than how churches are designed today all right we need a building we need a staff. We got to hire people. We got to figure out what our menu is going to be. What are we offering people? What is our pitch to people? Is it programs? Is it you know uh, kids events? Is it um, you know certain classes for for use you know tailored to you and your interests or uh, events you know men's groups that are going to do stuff that you like, women's groups that are going to do stuff that you like doing, um, all of those things. What is our our offering? What is the menu that we're offering people? Um, again, not only do you have the chef, the, the minister who's going to do the preaching, but you got teachers, you got different staff people that are going to wait on people and Hey, you come to us. And, and so you're already starting this divide, which we'll get to in a minute, but then you've got to market it. You got to get your name out there. You've got to send out specials. Hey, come to our event, come to our gospel and come to our VBS. You come in, we hope you like us enough to stay. And if you do, we'll just keep on coming and we'll, we'll do what it takes to keep you coming. And that creates 
a certain type of environment. What it's done is it's created, it's, we've engineered our brains to think that we, we have to treat our congregation or we have to treat church like a product that we're selling. Right, and that speaks to kind of the marketing side. We got to make sure our website looks really, really good. We got to make sure our, our kids program that when when visiting families come, that the kids are gonna gonna want to are gonna love our, our program and that they're gonna want to stay. And so we treat it like a product that we have to sell, right? And I wonder is you know, I know door knocking is is still successful in some places. You know that it has success. I also know that it's not successful all the time in other places. And I think to me, part of that I wonder is you know, well, you speak from experience. When you have somebody come to your door that's trying to sell you something, what is most people's reaction to that? <laughs> no thanks, I'm good, right? It's skepticism. No, nobody likes really being sold to. If somebody, you know, cold calls are almost gone now for the most part because somebody calls and the first thing they're trying to do is sell me something, I'm hanging up, right? Or I'm, no thanks, I'm good, and I'm hanging up, right? Nobody likes that. I wonder if part of this treating the church like a product that we're trying to sell is what has turned people off so much from, you know, when somebody comes to your door, you know, and is, you know, even if it's just passing out a flyer for, for vacation Bible school, for gospel meeting, whatever, it's like, oh, they're trying to sell me something. I'm good. Right. To me, that's the way that, or that, that, that's kind of what I see when it comes to people from the outside looking in their reaction to the church these days. And I, I do wonder if that has to do with the fact that we treat it like a product that we're trying to sell people. And, and again, salesmen kind of have a, a, a bad connotation. So I don't know if there's a correlation there, but that's what I see. It is. There. We're, we're in a very skeptical time, right? Um, there's a story I tell in the book that uh, a church I was involved in, the area churches, uh, the Churches of Christ in a whole county got together to put on this big event. Uh, you know, we, we had it at a local community center, and it was just going to be a very basic lesson about Jesus. We're going to tell you about Jesus. Uh, and, and we printed up cards, you know, to hand out, I mean, like 2,500 of them. And, and we didn't have any left by the time it was done. I mean, this was a town of 5,000 is where we were holding the thing. And so, I mean, people were inviting people left and right. You know, it was, we got the word out. We, they took out advertising. There was even a, a TV, you know, commercial on the local TV channel, a uh, small town thing. And so it wasn't anything fancy, but, you know, we got the word out. We showed up on the night of the thing pretty well attended, you know, stood at the back, shook hands, not a single person in there who wasn't already a member of the Church of Christ. And it it kind of hit me. I see advertisements for this like, you know, like this all the time. I don't ever think about going to any of them. None of them are something like, well, I might do that. I'm not getting out of my house for that. And so, like you said, that skepticism, that, uh, and so, but again, the advertising, marketing, if we just, it's kind of the field of dreams thing. If we build it, they'll come. If we put it out there for them, they'll come. Well, that doesn't work. And so then we think, well, what will people come for? And that's, you know, the programs, that's the the fun events, things like that. And and I want to clarify, you know, we brought up programs, kids, things, youth events. I'm not against Vacation Bible School. I'm not against... Uh, you know, some of these things we're talking about. What I'm saying is where we use these as a hook to bring people in and we've got to have these fun events. The question you ask yourself is, the church in Acts didn't have a website, didn't have a sign, didn't have a building, didn't have, uh, you know, kids programs. But they were growing by the thousands, you know, by the Right. And so this idea that basically we can't grow if we don't have those things, if we don't, because that's the first thing you got to get in place when you, well, that's the business mindset. That's the same way as we would build a restaurant, we build a church, and then you get customers rather than members. But it's the 21st century, Jack. Come on. It's the 21st century. 
we have to modernize. We have to come into the 21st century, and that's where people. That's where we're going to find people. No wonder why people are staying home from COVID, just watching church on Zoom, is because it's a consumer mindset of like, well, I can get the same thing from home, and people well, are and, really and good at sniffing out. Sorry, Joe, you continue your thought. After that's exactly what I think Jack is talking about when we're and what all of us are talking about. We said shouldn't church be more? Why do you think so many people are staying home? It's because they went to church and realized, you know, there's not much. I'm not getting a lot out of it, so I'm just going to stay home, right? If it truly was what it was, how many people, or what it should should be, I should say, how many people do you think would actually be staying home? You know, that we're missing out on what church was supposed to be, the, the fellowship, the the being there for each other's family. That doesn't exist in congregations, and we're going to get to that later, but that doesn't exist in congregations today. And so what you see is dozens, hundreds, thousands of people that are just fine to, to drink their coffee and sit on their couch and watch church. Sorry, Joe. Continue. And to your no, no, you're good because well, to your point earlier, I think people are really good at sniffing out advertising um, staples these days. And what is what do they do for advertising? They create a need that you didn't know you had, so you know, they attempt to right. So they got a fancy new water bottle or whatever, and it's like, have you been drinking water the way that you were intended to? And you're like, well, uh, well, what does that mean? You know, and and so you they create this need, and I think people are they've caught on to it where it's like, do I really need that? And some things really do it well, but the church, we don't do that that well. And the sad thing is people absolutely need this, but when we create it as though it's something to be bought or something to, um, to kind of invest in the way that we would uh, the new iPhone, we're not as good at Apple as Apple is at creating people's needs, but people very much need the gospel. And so when we treat it that way, and, and the other thing that I was thinking about is, how we try to make our churches unique. Each congregation is unique, like you talked about, Jack. All the things that we that we give out. Well, we offer this and we offer that. And it's like, what made the church unique was not the programs. What made the church unique was the fact that it was a place where people could be loved, where people could be, you know, accepted, not in their sin, but accepted and, and given their deepest need, which is something God put inside of us. It's not good for man to be alone. And the church meets that basic, like the the most underlying need of mankind, which is to be known. And so there, there was a church here in town that tried to brand themselves, and I don't think it worked because they gave it up after a year or two. Uh, they had a, a name. It was such and such community church or whatever, but they tried to brand themselves that church. Have you been to that church? Everyone's talking about that church, and they put up billboards, you know, like that. And, like, really, guys? I mean, like, you're, you're going to brand yourself that? But, it, again, it was producing the need in people. And, and so we're talking about this evangelistically, but it also happens intra-church, not just bringing people into the church, but among members, members that do the church hopping, church shopping thing. What can you do for me, right? And and so, you know, the opposite of the John F. Kennedy, what your country can do for you, ask what your church can do for you. Well, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for my kids? What are you going to offer? Is your preacher very good? Is your, your song, is your singing good enough for me? And so we've got people all over the country, especially in the Bible Belt, driving long distances past multiple congregations who are perfectly fine and doing the work of the Lord to go to one that will fit me and do what I want from them. And and so you've got the consumerist thing. And there's a phrase I want to get at here that is going to be a, a big feature of this episode. What you win them with is what you win them to, right? And so if you win them to, hey, what can we do for you? Let's serve you. In the same way a restaurant wins a customer and they tell you, we got food that you like. Your favorite food is, is lasagna. We make the best lasagna in town. You come in. We can do that for you. You don't bring that customer in, have them sit down at your table, eat the garlic bread and order their lasagna, and then tell them, all right, we need you to go wash dishes and bust some tables. Right. 
They don't come in to serve. They're not there to serve. They're there to be served. Well, what did Jesus say? Mark 10, 45, right? He came to be you know, to serve and not to be served. Right. And yet we're telling all of these Christians, we're here to serve you. Right. Jack, you, you brought up in the book... Um, which I've actually got a, a copy of your book on my shelf, Joe. I don't, I don't know if you do actually, which is, is kind of ironic. But uh, <laughs> got him. <laughs> I've got the original on email, oh, okay. bro. Okay, okay. So, so with all of these spelling errors, no, we were so we were we were talking off air beforehand, and Joe just couldn't seem to find a copy of Jack's book on his shelf. So anyway, thought I'd throw that in there. Um, but Jack, you bring up, and I thought I had like fifteen of them. Yeah, so sure. It's just kind of yeah, weird. Sure. I don't know. You must have given them all out to people. Is, is what that's it is. what yeah. it is. That's it. I'm Jack's apologist. Yeah. Just need to put it in order for ten more. Just <laughs> when we got off the air here. You'll give those to me for free, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have to pay for Family those. discount. I'm your brother, so I was going to say. Uh, but Jack, you bring up in the book the, the 10%, 90% split, right? The fact that in, in most congregations, you've got 10% of the people that are doing 90% of the work. And so what that looks like is you've got 90% of the members of a congregation that come in and just like you're talking about, what are they expecting? They're expecting to be served. They're you know, What classes can be offered for me, right? What What... Uh, youth events are going on for my kids. What do I like the preacher, right? Do I like the way that the the worship is ordered and the songs that we're singing? And so that is really, again, kind of taking out the evangelism outsiders coming in perspective and going member to member. It really feeds this consumerism mentality. <clears throat> it feeds this, you know, what it, what is it offering me? You know, what what how can the paid staff, how can the elders, how can the, the teachers... How can they make my experience more comfortable? And, and don't get me wrong here. If, if you're going to a congregation and you feel like you're not being taught, you know, you're not learning anything or you feel like you're not being edified, or you feel like, you know, your spiritual needs are not being met, that that might be something worth looking at. But what we're talking about here is this idea that you are there like a restaurant. The, the restaurant analogy is perfect, Jack. You're there to be waited on when your drink needs to be refilled. It gets refilled. When you need a side of ranch, you get a side of ranch. It's this idea that you're there for the experience to be served. That's not the way the church was designed in Acts. The potluck, the potluck idea is really good as well because this also goes into nobody really knows their spiritual gift. And I remember my, my mother talking to my mother-in-law about it. She had a ladies' day uh, that she ran. And she said, hey, by a show of hands, how many people know their spiritual gift? I don't think there was a single hand that went up. They're like, what do you mean by by that? They didn't know what what ways they were able to serve, what ways God had gifted them to be able to serve the church. It was like, well, what are you talking about? And if we were a if we functioned as a potluck, we'd recognize, look, I'm really good at making spaghetti. I'll bring the spaghetti, right? And so and so is really good at making fried chicken. They can bring the fried chicken, and so and so is really good at making you know blueberry pie. Whatever it is, like we're all bringing something that we are. That is our spiritual gift, not a miraculous gift, a laying on a hands, nothing like that, but a spiritual gift where we feel I am, but you know, the one we always go to is, well, I'm an encourager, man. <laughs> if, if basically the church is made up 95% of 95% spiritually yeah. gifted encouragers, like, yeah, I'm sure when you read Barnabas, like the son of encouragement, pretty sure he had a gift for that, a knack for that. Most people, you know, who does and who doesn't, but that's the easy one. People don't know these things because they're consumers. They've never been told you have to find these things and you have to branch out and try a few things to figure out what you've been gifted or what you're good at that you can give to the church. So with the the potluck thing, you know, everyone bringing a meal, that's the opposite of a restaurant, right? At a restaurant, you don't bring anything. You come expecting to be filled up. And people say, I'll go, you know, I go to church to get my bucket filled. 
Bring a full bucket. Go fill other people's buckets. You know, go bring something to God, right? When people would go and make their sacrifices, you had to bring something to the altar, right? Um, if we come expecting just to take, 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 that's the consumer mindset. And so you've got that. And, and this is the big problem with the consumer version of church. Seeker sensitive was a, a big term in the, in the 90s that kind of led to the mega churches. And, and that's what you're seeing now is the smaller churches get smaller, the bigger ones get bigger, because what can you do for me? And the bigger churches can just do more for you. So everyone flocks to those, right? Um, rather than plugging in, serving, how can I help this church grow? How can I help the Lord's kingdom? The biggest issue and why this is such a problem, who is the center of a business-like consumeristic church? Man is the center. It's all about you. It's all about what you want, what we can do for you. We're going to make this for you. We're going to pitch to you. We're going to advertise to you. We're going to all but beg you to come and tell you all the reasons that you should come and why we need you here and, and what we'll do for you. And not only with that, then we're elevating the marketing skills and the the public speaking skills of the staff, right? The the you know you mentioned the clergy laity thing, the ninety ten thing. You've also got like you know in a restaurant, as you said, the counter. There's the people that are behind the counter doing the work. The people you know on the other side of it consuming the food. So the people behind the counter. If your restaurant chef isn't any good, people aren't going to come. And so you've got to get a really good preacher. And so we're elevating man's talents. Oh, wow, he's, he's such a great speaker. And how often do you hear that? Man, I just love to listen to so-and-so preach. And so I'll, you know, I drive all the way across town to go to this guy's church. Like, yeah, because it's about the man. It's about you, what you want to get out of it. And it's about the man and his talents. Whereas the potluck thing that you're talking about, Joe, of everyone bringing their gifts, everyone being expected to contribute, a structure being set up where it's not about, hey, we're here to, to cater to you but we expect you to bring something to the table, that puts God back at the center because it's not about our strengths. As you said, these are gifts. This is God working through us. This is God uh, being in and among all of us. And so God is elevated when we use everyone. First Corinthians 12 talks about this of don't give attention to, to the more prominent people. And that's always going to be our, our tendency is to look at the really talented, nice people, you know, the, the, the shiny people and think that's our ticket to growth. That's our ticket to doing better as a church. And God says, that's not your strength. Your strength is in the people that you wouldn't notice, is in putting to work the kind of people that you would overlook the rest of the time. That's where God is glorified. Whereas in this, man is glorified. And and so you get, you know, the mega church pre preacher, the mega church pastor kind of thing going. And, and so man becomes the center of this thing. And And the other side of that is, when we're marketing to people, we're, we're making them into consumers. There's, you know, we, we put on gospel meetings, we put on things like that, and then we lament, well, people just aren't interested in the gospel anymore. They won't come out for that stuff. And then you look down the street, and, and we had, you know, one of the churches I was at, there was a cowboy church in town, and we would get their mailings all the time. Hey, we're having a petting zoo for the kids. We're having a country western concert. We're having a barbecue cookout. And we noticed after a while, they started having to add to their little flyers, you must stay for the worship service if you're going to get the barbecue. Or you must come to the bar the worship service first to get the barbecue. Because people will show up for that stuff all day long. And so we're looking at it going, well, we put on a gospel meeting and people didn't come. We can't do the gimmicky stuff that these other churches are doing, you know, petting zoo, jump bounce houses for the kids, you know, all that. Just, hey, have a really good time, and hey, maybe we'll get you in the door while you're here. And so what do you do? And so that that's the position churches are put in. Do we compromise the gospel to try and get the numbers, keep the customers happy to, to attract the customers, or do we sit here miserably declining, going, well, people just don't care anymore? 
And then the other thing that happens is with the people that are in the building, what if the customers aren't happy? What if you preach on something that hits a little bit too close to home? What if you preach on some of these topics we've talked about on the podcast? Uh, Some of the popular things that people hold on to in our culture, something like feminism or whatever else. What if you you highlight something like that and say, here's what the modesty. Oh, yeah, that was a big one, right? If you stand up and say, God cares about this, this matters, and we're going to get this right, some of the customers might leave. Some of the people that are there for what they get out of it, they're going to get mad and they're going to take off and, oh, no. Well, the customer's always right is, is, you know, the attitude that our culture has towards customers. And, you know, you worked this hard to get me here. I've got leverage over you. I can leave. I can take my contribution. I can take my family. Now your numbers are going down. What are you going to do? And that's the, that's the perfect evidence for this customer mindset mentality is these are the symptoms that you see, right? In the restaurant business or in the retail business or whatever, you hear that phrase, right? The customer's always right. And so the way that that's leaked and infiltrated the church is like you just said, Jack, you don't like the preaching, you know, you don't like the the programs or you don't think your needs are, or, or your buckets being filled, as you said earlier, you just pack up and go down the road, especially in the Bible Belt. You guys know down here in the South when there's, you know, I, I've, I think I've said this before on the podcast, I pass seven churches on my seven minute drive to, my, to our congregation. Like they are all over the place down here. And so that's no problem. You know, same thing with restaurants. You have a really bad experience at a restaurant. What do a lot of people do? Swearing that thing off. I'm never going, never going back there again. Um, you know, we'll take our paycheck somewhere else. And so you see that in the church, right? You know, to continue that restaurant analogy, hey, you know, customer's always right. If I don't like it here, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so they do truly use that as leverage. And we've talked about that before. You know, the little old lady that gets ticked off at something goes to the elders and, 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 kind of uses that against them and you know not just little old ladies everybody a lot of people do it but that's the mindset rather than how can I serve if, if I see a problem you know how, how can how can I help take care of it it's what can you as the elders what can you as the preacher do to fix this problem for me and it's a vicious cycle because as you rightly pointed out Jack we have to have the best of preachers well you don't get the best of preachers on a $20,000 a year salary you have to make enough money to be able to get in the preachers that are going to be the best, that are willing to move their family across the country or whatever. And when you start dropping people like flies, you don't have the money to pay that good preacher anymore. And that's what's bringing people in because people really wanted to come hear him. And so it's just this vicious cycle of like, how do we keep the maximum amount of people in? And we'll get to this, but I don't see Jesus doing that at all. Matter of fact, I see Jesus having thousands and thousands and thousands of people following him, and he purposely pushes them. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, he purposely, like, gets them off the scent. He purposely pushes them away. Well, he wants to see who's a legitimate follower. Sorry, go ahead. I want to get to that. I want to get to that, John 6 especially. But what you just said about, you know, the, the preacher, the talent, and when we've built this around man, and a small church doesn't have the resources to offer the programs, doesn't have the amount of kids, doesn't have the all of these different things, and they can't afford, you know, the the big fancy preacher. Or we've got this system in which if they get a real good young hotshot preacher coming out of preaching school, he's going to move up in two or three years to another church. It's going to snatch him up. The bigger church can pay the bigger salary. They want a better preacher. And so the system we have, it's, you know, where Amazon and Walmart have driven out the mom and pop shops. That's happening to the churches. There will not be small churches left if, if we continue on in this way. And then those communities that those churches were meant to serve can't be served anymore because everyone is driving 30 to 45 minutes to the really big church uh, because consumerism. They'll, they'll give me what I want. 
It's an untenable uh, system. It's a, it, it just doesn't work, and it's not the way it was intended to be. And the preacher hopping, you kind of hit on an interesting point of those who are really good, it's almost like free agency. Like, oh, he just signed a seven-year by $100,000 a year salary. You know, <laughs> oh, just we missed him. We tried to put up our best numbers, but he's just a hotshot preacher, and he's he's a big fish on the free agency market, and so he just moves up and up and up and up. And that's the goal. Like, when you're starting out as a young preacher— you you have these small congregations that are really scared to lose you because they're like, are you going to be around for the long haul, right? Are, are you going to be here? Like, man, we've, we've gone through a lot of different preachers. And so they're starting to give up. They start, what do we do? We have to have a big name preacher. We have to have somebody who's good. I was talking to somebody recently who's like, well, it's the preaching. And, and, and that's one of the reasons a lot of the congregations have gone under is it's just we preaching. We got to invest in really good preachers. And of course, I'm we're we're big fans of Bear Valley and and other preaching schools, um, and that's great. But whatever happened to tent makers? Whatever happened to men in the congregation saying, "Hey, I believe I've got a gift for this," and and the congregation backs them up and says, "We, hey, we would love to see you preach more. Let's work with you. Let's help you." We don't do that anymore because of the consumerism. Because nobody's going to show up for some no-name preacher. We got to go out and get the big fish in free agency. Well, part of that is m- members <clears throat> of congregations expect their preachers to do their spiritual growth for them, right? Like, I come... You consumerism, right, I, yeah. I come... You're, you're there to be I, served. I come to, to worship on Sunday and Wednesday so that I can get my spiritual growth. Why? Well, because the preacher's giving it to me. That's what he's paid to do, right? He's paid to do all the studying. He's paid to, to have all the Bible softwares and the commentaries. So I'll just do my learning from him. And so what's that? what that's done is... Because, Joe, the <laughs> ideal here, obviously, and I think probably what we saw in Acts, obviously the Paul the Apostle was, was preaching and things... Do you think it was just the twelve apostles on a big preaching circuit? No, you you had members that that were up there, you know, and 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 converts that were you know giving messages and exhorting each other. The ideal in a congregation would be not just one individual or two individuals that can preach, but you've got individuals all over the congregation that know their Bible well enough that are that are studying the Word well enough that they can get up and present a twenty minute lesson on James or on Proverbs. But what we've done with the paid preacher thing. Is and, and again, we're not trying to say being a paid preacher is wrong or anything like that, but what it's created is a bunch of people that don't know how to grow spiritually. They don't know how to study their Bible. They don't know how to do any of those things because they're expecting the preacher or their Bible class teacher to do, that for, to do it for them twice a week. And if you're right, what would we expect to see? PTP, you know, all these other big conferences. Please don't, don't boycott the podcast and hate on Focus Press because we're picking on it. But hey, what would you expect to see? All of these major conferences, I just spoke at one, Faith Builders, it's great, I'm, I'm glad they have them, but we would also have a bunch of people come there to go, I just want my cup to, to, you know, to be filled, because I can't get it with my podunk preacher who doesn't understand it, he stinks at preaching, so I gotta come hear the big dogs here, right? We don't, it's because I need to be filled, and I don't fill my own cup, I couldn't possibly fill my own cup, it has to be a really good preacher, but because my preacher at my local congregation of 70 members, he doesn't get to speak at PTP, because he's not that good, and so... My cup is just dry, and I have to come here to fill it up. How many times you hear that? People, fill up your own cup. Let your fellow church members help fill up that cup. Have them over to your house. Do the Bible studies. If you want to go deep with them, go deep with them. Don't wait until PTP every year to go get your cup filled. Do it on your own. And it drives me nuts that this is the consumerism that drives us is can't wait to get to polishing the pulpit. We can't wait to get to faith builders. We can't wait to get wherever else because basically our preacher stinks. And what are we supposed to do about it? Come on. We, if, if we were a potluck and we recognize that, you know what? 
let me let me take the preacher's side. Let me help him. Let me say, hey, some constructive criticism, whatever it is. I'll I'll, I'll talk to the elders and see if we they can kind of disciple him or train him in some ways, whatever it may be. If you saw him as a brother in Christ, this goes against how we view preachers as well. So I'll get off my soapbox in a second. But if we saw him as a brother in Christ and not putting him in the glass house as though he is he's way up here on a pedestal and everybody else is down here. And when he falls from his pedestal, because maybe he's not as good as we wanted him to be, well, then he's horrible. Like this is why people don't get close to preachers and why preachers are dying out. We're sick of living in the glass house. And so well, in the same way that you don't get close with the chef, at your, your favorite restaurant, the guy yeah, exactly. back there, you know, there's a separation. And I think this all just to tie this all back in comes to our point about it being man based. If God's design for the church was on having high skilled, you know, guys with oratorical skills, guys that are just powerful, dynamic speakers, if we if he needed one of those in every city across the world for his church to grow, he messed up. Like, because that's not going to work. Like, you know the numbers. There, How many world-class speakers do we even have? Five, ten? I mean, there, there's some really good speakers that speak at these conferences. I agree. None of us, we're all decent preachers. I mean, we're not, uh, you speak know, for I, yourself, you guys there, preach Jack. well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I think I'm okay. Will's you guys moving up the ladder. Well. Just messing around. Yeah, none of us, none of us are, you know, like, the guy, right? And so it's like... Uh, under this system, you're resigned to the fact that your church is going to fail because of the consumer mindset of you don't have a superstar chef, so your restaurant's not good enough. People are going to go somewhere where there's a better chef. Tough luck. You know, you're, you're out of luck there. Even so, if we were the, incredible, what what difference does it make? Even if one of us were, I, I don't want the listeners to hear and be like, oh, they're just jealous that they're not speaking on P2P. Couldn't care less. We have spoken on conferences. That's not the point. The point is, even if we were amazing... It would be a flawed system if we were expecting to get people in the door based on our oratory skills because the majority, and by majority, I mean like 98% of churches across the world will never experience that, and this is why we're dying out. But I want to transition into, sorry, Jack, and this may be where you're getting. I want to transition into this idea of kind of the wrong mindsets in members, and I want to briefly go over this before we get to what the Bible says. Part of it, I'm just going to go over because we've talked about some of these things. First is the customer's always right. Second is go elsewhere if you don't like it. Third is be served rather than serve. Those are the things we've been talking about. I just wanted to kind of briefly go through those for those wrong mindsets. So if you are a listener and, and you notice this is something that you've listened or that you've believed, we're calling on you to, to change these beliefs and to recognize the customer is not always right. That you're not a customer, you are you are bringing you're a contributing some contributing member, right? You exactly. That also goes back to our hierarchy and submission episode. You're under the elders. Mm. We have no respect for elders. It's well, they hired a preacher that I don't like, and so I'm out of here. Well, they they're not doing enough for me, so I'm just skipping to the next one. Like you signed up under these people. These people are over. These men are over your souls. This customer is always right thing. If I'm going to throw a fit, I'll take my ball and go home. You know, I'm going to church hop and, and look around for something that I like better. No, it doesn't right. work. And, and holding the church, you know, I, that's happened. It happens in places. Well, we'll take our contribution check, especially if you give a lot. You know, some people can hold that. Well, what are you going to do without us? Or or even the numbers, a smaller church. Well, if me and my family, you know, my family of five leaves, guess what? You got to repent if that's your attitude. Right. The second is go somewhere else if you don't like it. And that also is something to repent of because we're to be unified. What does Jesus pray for in John 17, right before he's about to go to the cross, right? That's up in, in, in the upper room, kind of Lord's Supper's uh, 
um, is 13 through 17. And in 17, he prays specifically for the unity of the church. The last time that he's with all of his apostles, that's what he wants from them. And we're willing to break unity over the smallest things. My preacher's not good enough. We had a small quibble with somebody else, whatever it is. And, and we break unity all the time so we can go drive past five other churches to go to the other one because I don't like it here. Stop leaving church if it's not perfect for you. Do to the best of your ability, try to be at peace with all men and pursue unity and pursue trying to help your local church grow to the best of your ability. The other thing, Joe, is you know why church discipline has pretty much gone by the wayside? It's for this reason right here. It's because we haven't been trained and taught how to work through problems. We don't understand Matthew 18. Our solution to every problem is either A, go make a big stink about it to the elders and then leave, or B, just kind of slip out the back door, go somewhere else without having to really address the problem. So we don't see people go into their brother, as we talked about several episodes before from Matthew 18, and saying, hey, we need to talk about this. This, this is a problem. And you know, even if it's something minor, or if it's something major, there's a pattern that Jesus laid out there. So we don't see that, and then we don't see church discipline. Because somebody's retort to, oh, you're going to withdraw fellowship from me? You know, their retort could be, all right, fine, let me go three blocks down the street to a different congregation where they're not going to withdraw fellowship. And so it doesn't hold the same weight, you might say, as, as it should. And so you don't see church discipline in a lot of congregations. You don't see people practicing Matthew 18, and all of this is a symptom of it. And they are hoping that the elders or the preacher is going to call them up and, like, chase after them and be like, I'm so, did, did I offend you? Did I do something? I'm so sorry, right? Because instead of doing the right thing and saying, hey, I got offended and I'm going to come to my brother because you're my brother in Christ, we'd rather just go elsewhere. And so we're going to make the other people because they're paid for it or, or they're the real spiritual ones. They need to come after me because I'm worth it. It's like, I'm sorry, where's, where's that in scripture? Like you're supposed to go to your brother if you but have something if- against somebody. If you've been told, if this whole structure has been set up to say this is about getting you in the door, then people are going to act that right. way. We've conditioned them you're to gonna think get. that way. Right. Right. You tell somebody you're the customer and this is all about you, they're going to act that way. So let's go to the, what the Bible says about this. Um, number one, we talked about Jesus came to serve rather than to be served. And that has to be the mindset of every Christian. That if that's not your mindset, you're not following in Christ's footsteps. You're not doing as he would do. But the real key chapter is John 6. Uh, I, I hit this heavily in the book of, could you imagine if we had 5,000 people that showed up on a Sunday? You just uh, One day, 5,000 people show up and they're like, we're here. We're, we're ready. We want to be a part of this. Jesus had 5,000 people following him, and not just following him saying, Can I point out, check Jack, this guy out. Sorry, they said, he probably had yeah. way more than 5,000. You know, 5,000 yeah, men. 5, yeah, 5,000 men. Yeah, 5,000 yeah. men. So, you know, if they're women, children, we, we don't know what the rest of the count was, but at least 5,000 men is the minimum there. Uh, and not, they're not just following Jesus to come check him out. They say, you're our king. We're, we're going to make you our king. We're going to follow you. You're our guy. And you can get into what they meant by that, because clearly their intentions weren't, you know, the same as, as Jesus's were. But what does he do? He's got a crowd of 5,000. Hey, maybe they're they're a little bit off. Maybe they're a little misguided. Does he say, well, all right, they came here because I fed them the bread. So if I just keep giving them bread, I'll have this huge army of people. And, and you know, we'll be golden. We've got this figured out. I've got my army. I've got my kingdom. I've got it all started. What does Jesus say when those 5,000 people? Number one, his first response is he runs away. Tries to get away from him. Like, man, the crowds are coming. I'm out of here. They finally catch up to him. Say, we're going to make you our king. And he says, go home. You came. You're here for the free bread. That's it. You're not following me because of me. You're here because I gave you free bread. He says, if you understood, if you really knew what you were looking for, you would realize I'm the bread of life that comes down out of heaven, that you need me, that God has sent me in the same way that he sent the, the manna in the desert to feed you, that 
it's about me. It's not about what I can give you. It's not about what you can get from me. It's about me. We've turned it the opposite. It's here's what we can do for you. Here's what we can give you. Here's how we can improve your life. Here's how we can add spirituality and, and good feeling or whatever else to your life. Jesus isn't at the center. And so Jesus's response was to drive customers away, was to say, if you're here to be a customer of mine, go away. And so you get to the end of the chapter and uh, again, they're still arguing with him. They're not getting it. And so he just gets, he goes weird with the teaching. He says, all right, you guys really want to follow me. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone goes, whoa, uh, what? Yeah, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no part in me. And uh, people all look at each other and go, well, I guess he's not our king anyway. Uh, see you guys. And they take off and Jesus looks around. Everyone's gone. He says to the, the apostles, his, his closest disciples, you guys going to leave too? And Peter gets it. Peter nails it at the end of this chapter. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. What this consumeristic structure of church has been set up to do was to attract and to keep the 5,000. Rather than keying on the people who say, we've got to be here because of the words of life that come from Jesus, and we need him and we need to eat his you know, flesh and drink his blood and the Lord's Supper every week, that we need Jesus, we've set the whole thing up to cater to and keep people comfortable, the very people that Jesus sent away. What do you think you're going to get out of that? Are you going to get a strong church? Are you going to get a church that's dedicated, a church that's doctrinally rigorous, a church that is is you know built to last and stand up against persecution and evangelize and all these things? No, you're going to get the kind of customer mindset that he had there. And so it's just so telling that Jesus, the opposite of every church growth book you'll ever read, the opposite of the, the way every megachurch strategizes is what Jesus did. And... Can I just point out, like, you get chills reading that and hearing that from Peter. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There's just, you get chills from that because you realize, well, that's exactly You get that's, chills. That's the gospel. You get chills twice because just a few verses before that, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. It's like, whoa. You know, he lost thousands of people. And then, like you said, Joe, the, the Peter line at the end just, you know, resets and it's like, Wow, you know, as for Peter, as somebody who sticks his foot in his mouth far too often, that's a crowning moment for him right there. Oh, yeah. And you imagine, it's it's 5,000 men here, 5,000 men. At the cross, there's nobody there but a few women. At the resurrection, afterward, the upper room in Acts, what was it, 120? I mean, like, the conversion rate. Could you imagine if you had a church of 5,000 and shrunk it to 120? What people would say the elders would go but it bananas was the, are you kidding oh I, I mean the preacher would have been long since fired oh, yeah. right but the 120 they got it were the people who were there who when the holy spirit came to them in acts 2 that took the gospel to all the world turned the world upside down as Acts 17 says that changed everything because they were there because jesus had the words of eternal life they were there because they believed he was the messiah the son of god everything peter preaches in acts 2 and really throughout acts they were the ones that got it. If you had a church of 5,000 customers and the, the church in Acts was all about keeping them happy rather than going outward, the only reason they were able to go outward is because they were all on the same page. If it was if it was a bunch of customers saying, Peter, we don't we don't like your preaching. You know, that's not very nice. Well, you don't don't tell the Jewish people that they crucified Jesus. That's going to hurt their feelings. Uh, you know, like... Uh, what is that going to do for? No, they, they didn't. They were there for Jesus, and that was the group that he needed, rather than a group of people who were there because hey, free bread. You had upwards, they say, of what five hundred thousand, maybe even a million at Pentecost. 
when Peter is preaching this. And just imagine what the average person in a church would say today hearing what Peter preached. Just imagine how much they would be like, you could have a million people. And think about what that would do for the gospel if you had a million people. This takes the 90%, the 90-10 split, and says, okay, 90, see ya. We don't want you. And any church, if you're listening to this and you're realizing there's this idea of addition by subtraction, and, and it sounds so mean, and I'm not saying every time a church loses members, it's a good thing. But I am saying, look around and see. We're separating the wheat from the chaff. I have this idea of, of I've been thinking about this, of, of kind of moving up the holiness mountain. I've, I've thrown it by you guys a little bit, but and I'll make it brief. But it's this idea of the more you move up the mountain, the more rarefied the air gets. And you start dropping people and recognizing, okay, they'd go that far with me, but they won't go all the way to the top. And at the top is Jesus. And we are trying to pursue holiness. This is the sanctification. It's the spirit changing us. And people start dropping off when you mention things like modesty. You know, Joe, I was with you. You know, Jesus, I was with you until you said, hey, don't wear halter tops. Until you said, don't wear those short shorts. I was with you up to that point, but I won't go there. And then you move up a little bit further. And it's like, I was with you up to the point where, where, man, it could be anything, right? It could be, I was with you up to the point where you told me no instruments. Maybe that's lower on the mountain. But whatever it is, we're pursuing holiness and we start getting real squirrely when people drop off. We go, we're losing people. We're losing people. And it's like, yeah, because the closer you get to Jesus, the fewer there are. That's why it's called the narrow road. So yes, the, and the air is very gotta be careful. This is not a pride thing that, hell, we're the few that are on the mountain oh, with Jesus. All. It's the ability, like Peter says, that there's nowhere else we can go. That's exactly We have it. to be with you. And whatever Jesus says goes, Jesus is Lord, Jesus makes the rules, Jesus is in charge. And when you you bring the Lordship of Christ into a church and say, he's in charge of this part of your life and this part of your life and this part of your life and this part of your life, and you're not a customer, you're expected to contribute, you're expected to be a part of this church, and we're not here for you, we're all here for God together. There's not a divide between clergy, laity, but all of us are here to look up to God and, and praise him and serve him. And if you want to be a part of that, cool. And if you don't, you're probably not going to fit. Then, like you said, you, you're going to have some people take off. You're going to have, uh, there's a quote of Francis Chan in, in one of the things he wrote on it said, we can't, something along the lines of, we can't be afraid uh, or we can't be beholden to the people who are going to get afraid when things start looking too much like the New Testament. Like people who get uncomfortable with, oh, we're, we're doing, you know, we're, you expect that out of me? No, thanks. Okay, so you're, again, it's, it go back to Jesus and John 6. All of those people are leaving. At that point, his decision is let them leave or go, okay, guys, here's your bread. I'll, I'll give you the bread. Just just come back, okay? He didn't do that because he knew who he is and he knows his value. We have to know who he is and we have to know his value. Because if we keep doing the, all right, guys, we'll give you free bread. We'll give you what you want. And when somebody comes in and complains and says, what is this church going to give me? What are you going to do for me? And we go, um, let me see. Let me see what we can do for you. Uh, would you stay if it's this? Or will you come and join us if we can offer you this? Rather than Jesus, go back to that phrase I said, what you win them with is what you win them to you've won them to Jesus, you've truly won them. If you've won them to free bread, you didn't win them. You have to keep giving them free bread. And you have to expand on that. Because you know what? If you f keep giving people free bread every day, they're going to get a little bored with it. You know, one of these days they're going to want pizza. One of these days they're going to want it to be a sandwich. One of these days, they're, you know, uh, in the desert, the manna say, rains down from above. Uh, well, thanks, God, but uh, getting a little tired of manna. What else you got for us? So when you, if you keep feeding consumerism... If, if as church leadership, and uh, so 
let's get to this with our, our last points here and, and incorporate some of these other scriptures we have. I don't, we've, we've kind of been hard on church members. I think this is mostly at church leadership because church leadership, when you treat people like customers, you're going to get customers. What you win them with is what you win them to. When you tell them church is about you, people are going to operate like church is about them and what they get out of it. And so we create the customer mindset by pitching the the church as the programs, the sermons, the building. You know, let's try and get you in the door and then hope that you really like it while you're here. That's not an introduction to Jesus. As I've said before, and I, I think is in the book, have you, you know, like, well, I want you to know Jesus and, hey, come to my church, you're going to really like it. Those are not the same thing. One of those is evangelism, is telling the good news. Jesus is Lord, the you need to submit to, to him and serve him. Yeah, the other is sales, is marketing, right? And and they lead to two very distinct uh, results. I want to get into Ephesians 4 real quick, and then Joe, I'll kick it to you for the other scriptures. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it's so interesting. Um Paul gives, you know, what you might call a recipe for, for church growth, right? And it's crazy. Nowhere in those six verses do you see, make sure you have the best preacher. Nowhere in those verses do you see, hey, if you want to make the church grow, you got to make sure you have a really involved kids program. You got to make sure you have the, and, and I work in youth ministry, you got to make sure you have the best youth youth minister out there. You got to make sure that you have this, this, and that. No, what he says, and, and Joe started talking about spiritual gifts earlier to start back in chapter four, verse 11. Talking about Christ, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Various spiritual gifts, right? But for what purpose? Verse 12, three purposes, specifically for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Those were the purposes of those gifts, right? Equipping, the work of ministry, and edifying of the body. And then the sentence continues, he gets into, till we all come to unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. Uh, and then, but 15 and 16 as he's kind of closing the sentence out and getting to the, the pinnacle of his thought, you might say, he says, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Notice verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what he's saying there, specifically in verse 16, is this is what the church should look like. The whole body, joining it together by what every joint supplies, this is how it should operate according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And then thirdly, this is what the results will be. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. He doesn't say you gotta you gotta have the best vacation Bible school out there. You gotta make sure you have the best ministers. You gotta make sure you have this program and that program. He says Every part should be doing its share. The whole body joined together, that you're all trying to grow up. Joe, you just talked about the holiness mountain, that you're all trying to grow up into the head who is Christ. You're all speaking the truth in love. That in and of itself, he says, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Fascinating that he gives us that, and yet we're trying to go with the gimmicky, the the consumeristic mindset. It, you use the restaurant thing again, right? The restaurant says, here's what we offer you. Here's the menu. Here's the specials. Here's the things that you might like. The potluck says, what are you going to bring to the table? Ephesians 4 says, what every joint supplies. All right, what meal are you bringing? How are you feeding into the work of the church? How are you feeding somebody else? How are you being a part of what we're doing here? Rather than, well, you show up and maybe you'll find something that you like to do. But generally, you know, just, well, just and keep we throw coming. Just keep coming we back. We throw around and, that term body so often, the body of Christ. What? How, how do, how do mm -hmm. our bodies work? Is it one or two pieces or 10% of our body doing all the work? No. It's every single part that works together to well, make the body. That's 
That's what First Corinthians 12 right. gets at, right? Of the different parts of the body can't say to each other, I don't need you. And you think about the human body. If you've got, you know, uh, uh, your hand just isn't responding, your leg, your foot, you know, you've got a part of the body that isn't working. It's a problem. It's a weakness. It's a noticeable thing that's going to slow you down. That's going to uh, harm what you're doing. And we've got this 90-10 thing. We've got this clergy, laity, consumer producer, whatever you want to call it, where it's the wait staff and the, the cooks are doing all the work. Essentially, you've got a body that's that's almost paralyzed, that can almost do nothing because it's down to a few bar- parts of the body doing everything else well, for the, the rest I've of it. The way I've put it before is if you have a part of your body that is not operating at full capacity, like you just said, what does that mean? That means your whole body is not operating at full capacity. If you've got a part of the church, a section of the church, a section of the congregation that is not operating at full capacity when it comes to you know, what are they bringing to the table, their spiritual growth, then what does that mean? The entire body is then not operating at full capacity of what it could be spiritually. I want to speak real fast to... So, we all know that the, you know, anybody who's been baptized into Christ for the for their mission of sins, right, is, is part of the body of Christ. Um, and that goes across the board. And so, if I go and visit a church in... Africa, somewhere in Africa, in Malaysia, um, wherever it is, it's all part of the body of Christ, right? But I also think there is a a strong importance on local church, local community. And one of the reasons why, and I'm not saying that, that they're wrong to do so necessarily or that they're not the body of Christ, but it's really easy, as we've talked about, to church hop and be like, but it's all part of the body of Christ. I'm just going to a different part of the body. And so there's not a whole lot of loyalty or anything else to the local church. And I think that's really hurting a lot of churches. And and again, it's it's all typically they all find their way back to the big churches, Jack, as you talked about kind of the, the Walmart corporation putting the mom and pop shops out. Um, and I want to call our listeners just to say, man, again, to the best of your ability, if you can make it work, make it work. In Romans 12, he talks about the body. There's There's more ideas of the body. He says, starting verse 4, for just as we have members, um, many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he goes into the different gifts. Um, prophecy seems to be maybe telling the word of God. We know from Romans one eleven doesn't seem like they have spiritual gifts there. So I think Romans has written a lot to people like us. Um, typical gifts. The prophecy, again, a prophet is somebody who speaks the word of God um, in this context. And so that's that's kind of what I was thinking. But as he talks about toward the end, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, starting in verse 9. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Um Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So he just gets done talking about the unity, the importance of unity, or rather the importance of using our our gifts. But what are we using our gifts for? To embrace and, and to perfect unity in the church making sure we're taking care of one another. And if there's one thing that breaks unity, it's church hopping, bouncing from place to place to place to place because we're just trying to find the right thing. Well, it's all it's all the body of Christ. It's all one. I'm just going to a different church. 
But when you're doing that, I'm not seeing you being devoted to your brothers in Christ in love. I'm not seeing you contributing to the needs of the saints. I'm not seeing you um, being practicing hospitality, being of the same mind toward one another. I see you breaking that and going to a different church and saying, well, we're all one body. It's all the same. Well, so unity is oneness, and if you just keep pulling and fracturing and, and attaching yourself almost by Velcro to different bodies, right, that you're not actually part of it, you can rip away and go wherever else you want, you're not one. You are a free agent, a free-floating piece that's not joined to the body, whereas joining is kind of losing yourself in something bigger than yourself, right? You bring something to the table, and now you're part of that body, and and so this lack of unity, this this church hopping all, that we've talked about with the consumer mindset. I want to shift, though, as, as kind of our last point to the leadership side of it. Um, as we said, the setting the church up like a business, like a restaurant, contributes to this consumer mindset. What you win them with is what you win them to. And so for our evangelism, it has to stop being, come in, we think you'll really like it here, and it's, hey, we need to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus is the heart of evangelism, not the church. Are we preaching Jesus, or are we preaching our church and the way we've arranged it for how people would like it? The other thing is not so much evangelism, but intra-church membership that we talk about. Somebody moves to town, or like you say, somebody's looking for a new church, and maybe they have a good reason. Maybe it's doctrinal concerns with their previous church, something like that. The process needs to be not, hey, here's what we've got for you. It's, what are you bringing to the table? We got a potluck going here, and and you got to bring some food to contribute to be a part of this thing. How are you going to plug in? How are you going to be a part? What what do you do to serve the church? The other thing about it that we're going to get to in in later episodes of this series is everything can't be around Sunday morning. You know, uh, okay, if they're not a Bible class teacher, a song leader, or a preacher, well, then then they can't really contribute. Well, we've got to have more to what church life means of, of being involved with each other's lives and all that. So we'll get to that later. Um, but find ways to, to teach people that you're expected to contribute. If nothing is expected of people, they're going to develop into church customers. Uh, because again, nothing's expected of the people at a restaurant except to show up, eat, and pay. That's what you do at church. Show up, sit down, you know, partake of the lesson, partake of the Lord's Supper, put your contribution in, it's over. That's another thing that I'm, I'm kind of big on, and we'll maybe spend some more time on this on a later episode. We've got a really fun one planned for the end of this series on changes we would make if we were starting over. But one thing I've noticed that goes to this consumer mindset, if you go to a baseball game and you just look at the setup of the stadium, if you go to a movie theater and you look at the setup of the seating, if you go to a concert hall and you look at the setup of the seating, and then you go to a church building and look at the setup of the seating what do you notice that they all have in common they're all looking they're all one direction yeah look one direction you are there to watch this thing that's happening right there all the seats are facing in the same direction you're an audience right uh in fact in preacher school that was something that they uh were kind of they would shy away from talking about preaching to an audience because it's not the audience it's the church or whatever but look at the setup. That's an audience. Well, when you've got the setup that basically says, come sit down, face to the front, this guy is going to feed you, then you're going to turn around and leave. What are you creating? Even by the structure of our buildings, it's consumerism. And so this is so baked in, it's so deep-seated in our mindset of how we approach church that it even shows up in the structure of well, our buildings. And we've talked about kind of the preacher side of it, but what we didn't get into is the content of the sermons, right? Why is it that there are so many preachers and sermons nowadays that are not challenging 
that are not convicting members to, to growth, that are not calling out sin, that are not doing anything to step on toes or make anybody uncomfortable. Why is that? Oh, well, they might leave. You know, we got to stay. We got to stay away from that topic. We got to make sure not hurt anybody's feelings because I don't want to, you know, be the reason that so and so five member family decides to head head somewhere else. And so the the content well, of the sermon. There's a ahead. reason. There's a reason Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick are like the most popular guys in America, right? You show up, I'm going to smile at you, tell you how great everything is and how you don't need to it's change at all. You're perfect stuff, just right. the way you are. and Warm and fuzzy. And we can all look at that and go, that's gross. That's so wrong. But we can do a, a, a midway version of that, like you're saying, not talk about anything directly. We can talk vaguely about sin and discipleship and commitment and but all that. But couch it in not such actually a way say, nobody will ever be offended by it. Right, right. Basically, make it to where, oh no, I'm not, I'm not talking about you, you know, I, you know, and, and so exactly to what you're saying, catering the sermons toward a, a customer mindset that nobody's going to get mad at it, nobody's going to leave. What's the saddest thing that that Will your dad has to go and speak to these places, and one of the reasons why he gets multiple uh, people coming forward each week is they haven't heard these things in a long time. What makes him unique is the fact that he's not glued to those places. He'll be out of there tomorrow. And so he goes in and he preaches these really difficult lessons. It's very convicting. Your dad's a great speaker. He's got a lot of good content. But he's saying things that the preachers at those congregations have been scared to say for a long time. And so he gets all these people come forward. It's like, preacher, that was your job. You should have been getting these people coming forward. But a lot of times you were too scared to say what Brad is not too scared to say because Brad's here for a weekend. You got to stay there and you got to try to find your, you know, you got you to try to work in that system and make sure that you don't get fired and for the elders, if there are any elders listening to this, stop looking just at the numbers, please. You know, us firing preachers because, well, things aren't going that well. How would that differ from a professional sports team trading their, you know, their superstar who is underperforming? Well, maybe he'll have a better chance somewhere else. We'll bring somebody else in. We look at it, when we look at it through that lens, preachers have a really difficult time staying in one place for a long time, maybe getting better, maybe working with those people because we're willing to cast them aside the moment that we start losing members. We have to stop looking at it that way. But I also, God set up the perfect system. And we see this in Acts 2. What helped the church grow? Because I'm sure we're going to have listeners that are like, well, great, you're saying door knocking doesn't work. You're saying, you know, all of these these programs and the VBSs. And the uh, I think like door that. knocking is way better than oh, sure. the other stuff we're talking about. Sending yeah. out a mailer yeah. of, hey, we've got this thing that you're going to like. I think door knocking struggles these days. But I've heard some really cool things like you just go and you door knock and you ask to pray with somebody. Hey, what can I pray? What can I, uh, how can I pray for you? And people get a lot of really good con um, feedback on that because people are like, wow, man, I I just lost my job or I'm really having a difficult time, me and my wife or whatever. And you start getting into people's lives and investing in them. I think that's a great way. I think being in each other's lives, being hospitable, allowing our spiritual our spiritual gifts to to flow through us and, and to cause us to do things that maybe we're not fully comfortable with, but we're meeting with each other all the time. That's what you were getting when at with Acts see, 2, wasn't it? The fact that they were together yes, daily. all the time. And they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, but you even have the Bereans. They're checking the scriptures daily, right? Um, that's what we ought to be, is somebody who is, we're around each other all the time, we're a family. If we saw our family once a week, we're going to get into this more in another episode as well, especially next episode, the idea of discipleship. And one of the reasons how our leaders have really let us down and one of the reasons that we don't or that we have this consumerism is nobody's discipling. You're just funneled into the same system. We got to break that system a little bit. That'll We'll speak more to the leaders in the next one. But 
for evangelism purposes, um, there's a couple great books. Jack Hughes is obviously a great book, but in prepping, we read Gospel Comes of the House Key um, by Rosaria Butterfield. And not these are not Church Christ, you know, they're they're Christendom. Um, but that one, Total Church, is another one. And what they did is you just allow yourself. And Rosaria Butterfield, I think, was a former lesbian who had a church uh, or a, a family who kept inviting her over on these these weeknights and. She was real skeptical at first, and there was a lot of issues, and so she eventually comes around from the love of Christ being shown on a weekly and daily basis, and it wasn't just, hey, show up on Sunday, and we'll hope to get you in the door. It's like, let me minister you to you during the week, and that's what Total Church has, is I'm ministering to these people and to my congregation during the week, and there's such a power in breaking free from the Wednesday-Sunday mantra that we have and saying, what if I came and brought you a meal on Tuesday and we just sang some songs together? What if we came on a Thursday morning, we came together and we studied the Bible a bit and we prayed for one another? What do you have going on, brother? Let me text you this week. See what I can pray for. What's been going on in your life? Let's get together and pray on Saturday. And maybe pray for, for a, an right, amazing hold on. You're, 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 you're treading too much on another episode here with the, the family <laughs> stuff. I, I, you're, you're not wrong. It's just we well, want to save some Well, that'll that. be in a few weeks. Classic so Joe, John right, anyway. Anyway. Uh, you know exactly. me. So much good stuff. But so on avoiding the customer mindset, some of what you're saying gets into that of show people how to engage and serve and use their faith outside of Sunday morning uh, in their life, in their connection with other people. Show people how to do that. Show people that something is expected of them. Disciple them. Teach them how. Show them a, a way in which they can do that and, and create opportunities with how we do that. Because one of the things that we do with this customer thing uh, to continue the restaurant analogy, I'm going to keep using it because it, it, it's so multifaceted. You don't really have that much of a relationship, if if any at all, like any connection with the people at the table next to you. You might say something to them while you're waiting at the front. You might look over, you know, and, oh, you know, how you guys come here very often. I mean, like, some people do that. I'm not outgoing. I don't do that. But some people do that. That's basically the extent of your your connection with the people around you at the restaurant. And so, you know, what churches have done is is the small group thing. Okay, well, we'll force connection. We will provide you with connection. And so, you know, some restaurants have a family-style thing. You're going to show up and you're going to sit at a big table with a bunch of other people. Nobody likes that. Those restaurants Awkward. don't usually do very well. You know, and, and so the small group thing does get to that a little bit, but it's like this needs to be something we do as family. With family, you show up to a potluck, you sit next to people, you talk to them, but it's also cultivating these relationships, being part of this as, as what you're getting at, Joe, and we'll get at in the family episode. This is church life. This is not being a customer. Customers show up, get what they want, go home, and that's it. Rather than making this as a part of your life, part of, of who you are as a person. And so as leaders, stop treating people like customers. Stop expecting nothing out of people. Stop pitching the church to them as what we can do for you. Yeah, we can do a lot for them. God can do a lot for them. But it's also you, you're coming to be part of something. God's going to make you into a servant rather than somebody to be served. But as long as we keep treating people like customers and are trying to attract them as customers, they're going to act like customers. And to those who are customers, let's just say, because we've been talking to leaders some, if you believe in Ephesians 4, which we all should, it's the inspired word of God, what that says is the church is worse off without your contributing than than. With you contributing, yeah. it is literally it the worse body is off. not operating at its fullest capacity. That's right. Meaning, you have so much value and so much worth to the body of God, that, or to the body of, of Christ, that 
look, stop downplaying yourself. Oh, I couldn't possibly offer anything. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have any gifts. You do. You ought to be using your gift. You ought to be trying to find your gift. You ought to be figuring out ways that you can give to the body because we're worse off without you. So please, you know, recognize you have such value, but step up to the plate in that value. And this speaks to me just as much of we need to make sure that we are are trying to serve the church and trying to serve Christ to the best of our ability, even if that means going outside of our comfort zone a little bit because we have value. I think a lot of, of what this comes down to, and then this will, I guess this will wrap us up unless y'all have anything else that you want to add to it, is go back and study the book of Acts. Study Acts 2, study Acts 4, study the, the way that the church interacted with each other, and then take a look at your local congregation. And I know there are congregations out there that are, that are doing a, a better job than others and that are, that are trying to cultivate kind of what we're talking about here. But let's be honest, the majority are not. The majority have this, you know, that's the reason that the analogy works so well. Most are set up like a restaurant. Most are set up like a business with this consumerist mentality. And so that's the reason, you know, that really kind of fuels this entire series is that whole question of shouldn't church be more? Shouldn't it be more than than this, than this business consumerist, consumeristic mindset? Shouldn't when you miss because of sickness or something, you are, you're craving it right? Because you want that fellowship. You want to be, you know, that's what we see in Acts 2 and Acts 4. You look at your local congregation, and if most people were honest, they would say, yeah, there's something missing. You know, you know, not that it's awful, not that it's horrible, but there's something missing, and couldn't it be more? And so I want to plug um, Jack's book, obviously. You know, we're going to be spending the next few weeks on this. Um, if you have... We're going to put it on sale through the course of this, uh, uh, this yeah. run here. Um, just... You know, just to encourage, I think it if it drives drives interest, Joe, it'll you be, especially, uh, I don't you know, especially since so. you don't have a copy. I mean, <laughs> here's your chance, there you Joe. Go. Can you put it on like ninety percent discount? That's the only way I'm buying. Not a it. chance, buddy. That's the only way I'm buying. <laughs> but it. no, I've seriously, no, truly though, I, I it's want... a fantastic book. Yep. Please, please get it. You know, follow along with us, read it, see what you think, give us your feedback. Um, especially give Jack your feedback. Give him a lot of uh, constructive criticism for sure. Uh, no. Um, but really, it's it's a solid book, and to be honest, and that's not just because he's my brother. Like I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books from from Christendom and outside the Church of Christ, and um, about this topic. And I think it holds up notch. with the very best of them. Yeah. It's top notch. Um, pick it up, read it, see what you think. Uh, follow along with these podcasts. Let us know again. Send in your questions. If if we get enough questions, or if we get enough feedback, or whatever. We may end up extending this into a fifth episode and, and just handling some questions. If you have questions, if, we, if we're not going to cover it, if we don't end up covering it in, in these four this four-run stretch. Uh, sorry, Will, to take from that. But yes, go buy the book, especially since it'll be on sale, and I might pick myself up a copy as well. <laughs> One other thing, um, I've got a Facebook page for it, actually. It's just Church Reset Book. Search that on Facebook. Um, post quotes and, and things you know about the book. It's been dormant for a while as I've kind of been working on getting the Think Deeper page going, some other irons in the fire, but I'm going to be firing that up again. And so uh, just go check it out. It'll give you kind of a daily encouragement, a daily thought about the church, about what it's supposed to be, what we're supposed to be as members. And so uh, that's kind of my, my two actionable steps. Go check out the book and uh, check out Church Reset Book on Facebook. All right, guys. Well, uh if there's nothing else, then we will get back with another episode kind of along, not the consumeristic lines, but along this church reset lines. We will be back with another episode next week. Mm-hmm.